Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. All right, Cam, let's go ahead and get to this cut. Uh, We heard a lot from Steve Sarkeesian and Rodney Terry yesterday from the Tuesday Texas Fight Tour stop in Houston, the last stop on the Texas Fight Tour. And... Heard a lot of good stuff from Sark, but I wanted to save one because I think it gets back to, I think it shows kind of where the program was when Sark got here, where it is now heading into year three, and ideally where he hopes things are going once this program gets into the SEC. Now, I heard him say in Houston, and Craig, we've heard him talk about this. Actually, Mm -hmm. before that, let's go back to last summer. And, you know, we've heard Sark and Kyle Flood both talk about they want big humans. They want big humans. They like big people in the trenches. And I was telling you, like, you know, I don't know that we've ever really heard from Sark why he likes big people. Because we just automatically assume they want big guys. Right. Because some coaches like different kinds of offensive linemen. Some coaches want to take leaner guys and bulk them up. Some want to take big guys and slim them down. Sark and Kyle Flood just want big guys, want to keep them big and see where they fit in. So I asked Sark, where, did, where was that philosophy born? I figured it was born in the SEC, but he told us last year at coaching school, no, it was from his time in the NFL because the Falcons had and still have one of the smallest offensive lines in the NFL. In fact, when Sark was the OC there, they did have the smallest offensive line in the NFL. And he didn't like when they would go up against you know the Ravens or uh, you know the Eagles. Pick your team, your Patriots, your team with really those three down fronts where you just got massive human beings up front. Didn't like the fact that they would have issues there. And he told himself, and this is what he told us verbatim. He said, "I told myself if I ever had a chance to do it again, I'm not going to walk into a stadium and get bullied." So that's why they wanted big physical offensive linemen and really big physical linemen on both sides of the ball. So that's where this idea of big humans was born. We've seen them carry it out. And I heard Sark talk about it in San Antonio, you know, getting ready to go into the SEC. If you're building a roster the right way, and at Texas, Sark's made no bones about it. You, you come to Texas, you take this job, ideally to go compete for a national championship. And if you're going to do that going into the SEC, you better build you a roster that's ready to compete with Alabama and Georgia and LSU week in and week out in Tennessee and Florida going down the line. And so that got me thinking, you know, okay, it looks like Sark is building a roster that's ready to go compete in that league, but it's a roster that when you look at it, I I think probably is the most talented roster in the Big 12. Now I'm getting to that point of the year where I'll look at really start looking hard at what everybody else has got, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a more talented roster in the Big 12. And I think it just goes to show you how much of this is – you know, getting ready for something bigger, you know, looking at not just what works now, but what's going to work down the road specifically. But how much of it is just Sark is just building a roster that jives with his philosophy on what wins football games. So I asked him about that, and uh, this was his response. I think that's a good point. I, I was going to say that. You, you took the words out of my mouth. I think, I, you know, ultimately you get to this stage of your career of where I think you, you – 
stand firm on your two feet of knowing who you are. At least you'd hope so, and I feel like I do. And you know, I believe in being big up front. I believe in being trying to be the most physical team every time we take the field. And um, but to complement that, you have to have speed on the perimeter. And so that's just what I believe in. It, it just so happens that's kind of what's needed in that other league too, because of the the way teams are built. Uh, but I think it's a it's a formula for success in whatever league that you play in from Little League to the NFL. You know, it just seems like if you're big up front, you've got you know, really skilled, speed athletes, and you've got good quarterback play, you always got to give yourself a chance to, to win football games. You know, one of the things, Craig, when, when people talk about, especially in, in kind of the realm I'm in in recruiting, they're like, you know, why, why are guys from the Southeast, you know, why are you guys always ranking guys coming to the SEC schools so highly? You know, what what, what is the, the fascination with, with the SEC? And I would say... You know, I know I'm going to exclude Central and South Florida in this, but Craig, I would say if you just made you a circle, just circled in the area, let's go from, let's try Interstate 30, right? Let's just take Interstate 30 and... Which runs from Little Rock to Weatherford, basically, Texas. Well, let's just look at that and, and, you know, we go over to, you know, Kind of from Memphis to to now, what is that interstate highway? That's that I-40. Memphis to Nashville. Yeah, so basically take a line like I-40 and draw a line right there and then draw a line along the I-10 corridor or basically go from go from San Antonio to Jacksonville. I got you. And that, that swath right there, that's probably where you'll find the bulk of your talent, your college football talent in the country is going to be in that, that area right there. In meteorological terms, as they were describing a weather system, north of a line from San Antonio to Jacksonville and south of a line from Memphis to uh, Raleigh. Yeah, because look at the major metro areas that, are, that, that fall into that category, right? Dallas, Houston, New Orleans. Memphis, Nashville, Atlanta, Montgomery, Mobile, Charlotte. Jacksonville. Yeah, that that area, that part, those parts of the country produce a lot of really talented football players. Right, and it's really interesting. Once you get into the southeast, you get into Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. I don't know what they do down there, but they have a habit of growing really, really big people who are really, really athletic that you just don't find in other parts of the country. <laughs> and those guys are at a premium. And Alabama and LSU and Georgia and, and the, the schools that are really good in the SEC do a really good job at, at getting those guys year in and year out. And I think if you're Sark, knowing how competitive the state of Texas is, it's really hard to find those guys. So they've already won part of the battle, just get, identifying guys that kind of fit that mold. And you even look at where they've gone to get some of those guys, right? You take the edges included in some of their interior guys. You know, they went to Mississippi to get Aaron Bryant. They went to Alabama to get Justice mm-hmm. Finkley. They've gone to different parts of the country to get some of these guys. That's why the SEC is the league it is, is what I'm getting at, because of the kind of athletes they produce. They produce a lot of really big, really good, really talented athletes. But I also think it's interesting, too, that, you know, you look at what you kind of can see. And this is what makes coaching transitions and the coaching transitions that Texas has gone through, which there's been. There are too many of them, and we all know that, and there's not enough time to, to get into all that and do revisionist history. But this is why initially coaches at Texas really struggle right off the bat. Charlie did. We saw Tom Herman do it. Sark went 5-7. and seven, Because you're taking somebody else's talent that fits into somebody else's vision and their philosophy on what they believe wins football games, and now you're trying to put that towards your philosophy of what you believe in 
and it may not jive. The pieces just may not fit what you want to do. And we've seen with whether you talk about Max reboot post 2010, the three years with Charlie Strong and the four years with Tom Herman, by the time they get their roster in place where they want it, where they feel like they can go win games with it, now you're out the door and you're turning it over to somebody else who now needs another two or three years to at least get, first you got to get the bodies in the door, then you got to develop them. So that's why I say Sark's already won a really big part of the battle just getting the talent on campus. Now you look at the way he wants to win football games, you see it. Like he wants to be able, you know, you talk about running the football, like what do coaches mean when you want to have a running game you can count on? We've heard, you've heard a lot of coaches say this, Craig. You want to be able to run the football when the opponent knows you have to run the football. Those times late in the game where you need to bleed clock, you need to move the chains, you need to put the game away, at that point can you go run the football? And the best way to do that is really talented running backs, but more importantly, big people that can constantly reestablish the line of scrimmage. That's how you do that, and that we've seen Sark go about that. Why is Texas? Why was Texas so good against the run last year? You, you really, we talked about this on the Longhorn Blitz podcast this week. You really start to look at the run defense numbers last year from 2021 to 2022. It's one of the better turnarounds with a run defense in school history. If you really mm-hmm. go, just start getting into the nitty-gritty, it's really impressive what they did. But go look at the amount of mass they've got on that interior defensive line that they had last year. You know, Coburn's 340-plus. Sweat's 340-plus. Uh, Ojemo's an athletic 300. He, he paired really well with some of those guys. Same thing with Byron Murphy. Then you've got uh, an athletic freak like Alfred Collins. Vernon Broughton's in the 3 teens. So they were able to roll, you know, legitimately be three deep with two guys they could put in, just roll out units, and, and they were big guys that could take up blockers and then let your linebackers work behind them. So... It's a roster that, based on the talent you've got and where you're getting it from, should be able to compete in the SEC. But you're also really getting an idea that hey, Sark has talked about what he wants to to put the product he wants to put on the field that he believes can win ball games. You're seeing it with the talent they've got. Mm-hmm. And when you talk, when you hear Sark talk about this, looks like my team. It sounds like my team. This, like, what does a Steve Sarkeesian football team look like? This is what it looks like. It's big and physical between the hash marks and on the perimeter. It is elite speed and quickness. Uh, you have to refresh my memory. We're, I, I'm going to guess you were a single-digit age youngster in 1992. 92. Uh, yeah, I was eight or nine. I okay. think I was turning nine that year. Okay. Yeah. You didn't – did you ever – I can't remember if we've had this discussion before. Did you ever go to the Cowboy training camps at St. Ed's? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. That was my vacation most summers. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. So 1992. The, the first year when they, the breakthrough with the Super Bowl championship. And, uh, and, and you know what I love about that 92 roster? What do you I mean? love this factoid. Jimmy and Jimmy loves bragging about it still. When the Cowboys won Super Bowl 27 when they beat the Bills, yeah. they were the lowest paid, youngest roster in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, they were. That's, that's true. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it, they had started building it before. I remember, uh, in 91. At training camp, Steve Berline with the team, and I was down there with the radio station with KRLD, and we would rent an apartment over uh, 
over off of Woodward. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was in a decent apartment. They, they allowed us to rent an apartment. So we had guys, you know, staying in it. It was like a three-bedroom apartment uh, throughout the course of the summer. And we would take it in two- to three-week shifts, you know, during the time overlapping with training camp, that sort of thing. It seemed like training camp went on forever back then. It did. And and uh, so uh, and I remember Steve Berline speaking to a group we had with sponsors and things like that. But the, I'll always remember this. It's summer of 92, Tony Wise, the offensive line coach. You know, and he had, you know, he had he had Mark Stepnoski, and he had Kevin Gogan, and he had Nate Newton, and he had Mark Two and Eight, and Eric Williams. Yeah, he had all he had those guys uh, on that offensive front. And somebody was asking him about Nate Newton, and Nate was just starting to break through, really. Then, mm-hmm. and he asked him what he liked, what he what he liked about Nate. He's what he's this and this. He goes, but mainly he's a big guy. He said he's just big. He's got big head, big hands, big feet, big ass. He's just a big guy. <laughs> and we were all like, "Wow, what a soundbite!" You know, yeah. and and that's what it was. So uh, that's that was Tony Wise talking about Nate Newton at the time. And I think there we saw a time. I, I think you saw Tim Nunez build some offensive lines like this at Texas in the early two yeah. thousands with Mac, where that was still a time where people were trying to replicate that Cowboys line. Mike Williams. Mike Williams, Leonard Davis, yeah. uh, even like a guy like Antoine Kirk Hughes yeah. was, you know, what was Kirk Hughes like? I remember him being like in 310, 320, yeah. something like that. The problem is, you know, Bob Stoops built some uh, built some off. Kevin Wilson built some offensive lines like that mm-hmm. in Oklahoma in the, the late 2000s. That's right. The problem you run into there, though, you got to be careful because, again, you can recruit big guys, but you got to make sure they're big guys that can move and some big guys that have position flexibility and position versatility, especially now where you really got to maximize scholarships and as much cross-training that goes on on the offensive line. If guys are big and sloppy, then they're not going to do you much good. You know, they're going to, you know, conditioning becomes an issue and, and it's 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 almost counterproductive at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, like I, I remember watching some stuff, stick with the Cowboys, I remember watching some stuff with Bill Parcells when he got the job, some behind-the-scenes stuff from training camp, he was just talking about, they're re- they're so big, but they're so slow, you know. And he he liked more like Kevin Mawai type offensive lineman that he had been with, kind of leaner, more athletic type guys. But again, that that shows you how tough some of these transitions can be uh, when you're taking somebody else's talent and their vision. Now you you've got the job first year. Now you've got to try to make it work with what you want to do. So, but you've got to be careful because you can get you can be so fixated on big that you know you just got big sloppy guys that that can't move much and and you know, don't give you much in the way of position flexibility. We saw the same thing happen, Craig, with the wide receiver position at Texas. And I had a guy on Mac Brown staff tell me one time, he said, you know, we, we got so obsessed with trying to find the next line of Swede that all of a sudden we looked up at our roster and we just had a bunch of big guys that weren't very fast. Yeah, that's true. And, true. and you can run in that hole. But So that's why I credit Sark. You know, and you, you want big guys, but you got to make sure they're big guys that can move. You got to make sure they're big guys. Like, Evan Neal at Alabama is a really good example. You know, that's a guy that played guard, played tackle, played multiple positions, was a first-round pick, and you can see the athleticism. I think we can all agree Kelvin Banks at 300-plus. Kelvin Banks looks like a different kind of cat out there at left tackle. He did last year. Uh, these are the strides we saw Christian Jones make. Christian's 315, 320. So that's the difference to me with this Texas offensive line. Yeah, they're big, but they're big and they can move. And the same thing with those interior defensive linemen. So, it, yes, Fixate you can be fixated on size. Size is good, bulk is good, but make sure it's quality bulk that can move and can actually help you win ball games. And I think Sark, that's why 
you're seeing him express the confidence you're seeing him express in this team and where it's going is they feel like they've got their kind of guys, and those are the kind of guys they want in the trenches.